Welcome to Clock Out, the Vicarious Life Podcast. This is for the mavericks in the world who are on a mission to obtain freedom. What is freedom? We're about to find out. I'm your host, Tracy Miller, a free-spirited entrepreneur who has been chasing freedom her entire life. Beside me is my co-host, Jackie Asel, the anchor who keeps me grounded. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and welcome back to the next episode of Clock Out Vicarious Life. Today, I'm super excited because I get the honor of interviewing a dear friend, a client, and a fellow investor of mine, um, Matt Kelly. He comes to us uh, way of, gosh, Idaho, Missoula. He's kind of all over the place physically in terms of where he lives and what he does. So we're going to have kind of a buffet of information on all sorts of different spectrums. Of, of the investing entrepreneur world. So with that being said, welcome, Matt. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. This is awesome. Proud of you for doing it. This oh. podcast is cool. Thank well, you. thank you. You yeah. know, I know somebody, uh, you, <laughs> that was doing the same thing. It was actually the first thing that piqued my interest in it. I thought, what? He's doing a podcast? Like, is that even a thing? Like, who does podcasts? I thought that was famous people. And yeah. here I am. I guess dabbled. you and I. Yeah. <laughs> We're famous. Are you still doing it? I'm not. No, no. Okay. I dabbled a little bit and uh, I like doing it. It's just hard to, I don't know, all this stuff going on. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're a busy guy. Yeah. Super busy guy. What was the topic? Uh, it's called Redeeming Masculinity. Uh, and it was speaking mostly to men. It, huh? I don't know. It was, uh, I like to teach. I've, um, I taught for a while and I miss it. And so mm. I was trying to figure out how to teach without being a teacher or a pastor or something like I was before. Yeah. So um, the podcast realm seemed to be the, a good fit. Yeah. But uh, so speaking to men, because it's a part of my heart is just um, mentoring men and training men and teaching men. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, very interesting. And yep. yet here you are today, you get the opportunity to do some more teaching. Yes. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, we're going to we're going to learn, hopefully from Matt, we're going to learn some ways that he's structured real estate deals in the past, how he's come across money to get started. Because one of the things and, and by the way, I usually start this with why I invite my guests onto the show and Matt, um, our history. So we met in 2017, I would say. I was freshly licensed. I think I'd probably, I don't know, I'd probably close 10 or 15 deals by then. Matt was a newer investor, at least new in the area. Were you investing prior to here? Nope, it was just here, yeah. Yeah, so the blind. The barn? Yeah. Yeah, the barn is yeah. the first one, yeah. Uh, in Washington, the one, the little turd house down coming off the highway. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. That was another yes, one. Right. Uh, yeah, so we were the blind leading the blind, kind yeah. of. Um, neither of us, I think we both kind of came into investing intuitively a little bit. Yeah. But it's been neat because I've been able to watch Matt's successes. I've got to learn for some, learn from some of his failures and vice versa. Yeah, um, so I've represented him, not exclusively because he's all over the place in real estate in different areas, but in the Butte Anaconda area, I've done a lot of deals with him. Yeah. Um, and I chose him because he is an entre entrepreneur by all definitions. He has dabbled, as you said, <laughs> in so many different things. Um, currently, of course, we know each other through the real estate realm, and that's buying, flipping, selling, holding, all of those different things. But then he also comes across different things that just kind of look interesting. And he says, huh, I'm going to build this out of absolutely nothing. And I think all of them have been successful. I don't really yeah. know of too many 
flops. Couple right? flops, but Couple. yeah, a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, I just throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. Some of it sticks. <laughs> okay. Well, tell me what so what do you have going on? Tell me about your your current business in general. What do you got going on? Yeah. Uh so redeeming homes is the um big thing I've been building for six or seven years now. And we have uh between 40 and 50 doors, 20 something properties. We have, we try, I don't know. I try to, my goal has been to get to 50 properties. And I think once I get to that point, I'll probably want more, but I, I, um, I, I'm, so I'm trying to build, but it ebbs and flows because I all like blitz to try to get a bunch of properties. And then I, you know, when I start focusing on the amount of properties I have, I start to you know, buy some stuff I shouldn't buy. So then I have yeah. to pull back and correct and then, you know, um, yeah, correct and then start buying good stuff again. So I'm yeah. slowly building up to that um, goal and we have uh, some flips going on, some flips that will sell, flips that will refinance and hold. And we have a small Airbnb business. Um by just small. two units. No, okay, it's just, just two, two now. units. Now we had five at once. It was harder to manage that. Oh. Um, so just those two. And then we have um, some new ventures that we're doing down in Idaho. We have um, a shop and a little bar food truck venue we just started. And we have some businesses for the kid. I homeschool the kids also. So oh trying to teach them how to become entrepreneurs. So they have um, some vending machines up in Missoula and Holy all smokes. over the place. So, <laughs> so there's a lot going on. Yeah, Makes right. sense why you can't do a podcast right. consistently and uh-huh. all that stuff. Um, tell me about Redeeming Homes. Where'd the, where'd the name of that come from? Uh, I just love the idea of um, redemption and turning ugly, dirty, crappy things into new, you know, and so that's a part of my heart and my life is doing that in all things. So that was a good fit for the business name. Yeah. yeah. So you have the, the podcast had redeeming masculinity. masculinity. Yeah. Do you have other businesses that have no. redeeming played into it? Mm-mm. Just those two. Brandon and I use the word adventure. It's yeah. adventure contracting, right. properties, realty. I mean, we have adventure and everything because that's what we love to do. And that's we figure, yeah. yeah, well, and everything, as you know, everything in entrepreneurship, everything in investing, it is an adventure. Yeah. So why not right. call it as such? So yeah, I always yeah. like to ask where the names come from. Yeah, that's cool. Um, okay. So we'll, you've got stuff all over the place. Tell me a little bit about your current situation with like family. Where do you live? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we live, so, okay. Um, my wife's name is Ani. She is in, okay. I was in Missoula. <laughs> um, okay. I start, I'll step back. Started invest, started redeeming homes in Anaconda, started buying properties in Anaconda and Butte, um, was married to my ex-wife in Anaconda, separated, she moved up to Missoula. We went up there um, to live and work, and I still invested in Butte Anaconda area. And then I met a gal down in Pocatello, Idaho. Her name is Ani, and uh, She's she has a she is wonderful, and she has uh, children, and her ex is down there. So we kind of knew what we were getting ourselves into when we met. That it's six hours apart, and. Um, you know, our exes weren't, you know, we didn't expect them to move. We knew they weren't going to move. So we just, sure. for some reason, thought we'd jump right in and do it <laughs> like, figure, whatever, figure it out like we do with everything. And uh, so, yeah, for the last five years, we've been going back and forth. We have, 
week on week off schedules with the kids. And so most of the time we live down in Pocatello now it's kind of uh, ebbed and flowed. We've lived in Missoula and spent a lot of time in Butte Anaconda. Um, but for now we're in Pocatello and I drive back once a week to drop off the girls, pick up the girls and still have some stuff going on in this area. So I work a little bit here yeah. and, um, yeah. And then back down to Pocatello. So I'm trying, yeah, it's been hard. That's been difficult because I've been, um, I've been really torn between the two places and that's, uh, it's been fine for a while, but recently I've, it, it's like a strain. It's really hard on the marriage and, you know, spending nights apart every week. And so I decided to, um, try to consolidate a lot of what I'm doing down to Idaho for the sure. time being. And, hand off my responsibilities in Montana to people, my team, and, um, try to do as little as possible here and mostly focus down in Pocatello. So, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's one of the things that it, it's really cool. First of all, I got to see that whole kind of marriage, not like upfront yeah, and personal, right. of course, but like, I remember meeting you when you were going through your divorce and you were transitioning and I got to see the whole, yeah. the, the story, the falling in love, the getting married. And I was like, Oh my God, it's been really cool to yeah, watch. Thank like as for role models for marriage, it's, it's really a beautiful thing. Um, be, being in all these different places and trying to run a business. Like, I think that people have the idea that when you own these type of businesses that you're intimately involved in all aspects right. and we grow to a certain level where we eventually have to hand over the reins or you said yes. you have a team. So tell me about your team. How much, how much are you still hands-on? Cause Keep in mind, like guys, two years ago, I would get a call from Matt and he'd say, oh, I'm passing through. Can we pop in and look at a property? And he'd show up and he'd be in a hazmat suit. And I'm like, what are you doing today? And he's like, oh, I'm just doing insulation. Or I mean, he's he was super hands-on at that right. point where I feel like you were, you were kind of drowning and you were poor on time yes. and you weren't able to take that next step into scale. So what's your team look like now? Yeah. I'm and how's that process? I'm a control freak. So it was hard <laughs> to transition because- um, when I build something, I want to build it well and I want it to go how I envision it, you know? And so it's, it's been hard, but then you come to a point to where if you, if you're growth minded, you have to, you hit a wall where you can't do it all. And especially if you're building something that's growing, it's either the business is stunted and you have to, um, give, I, give up your growth, I guess, so that you can just do only what you can do, or you got to figure out how to build a team and, you know, hand off stuff to people. So that was a hard process, but necessary one. And, um, meeting, I mean, people like you has been a huge deal. I mean, I'm not in your arena, so I can't like sell houses, but you are certainly part of the team and, uh, meeting a really good contractor has been, probably the biggest practical thing for me because I'm, I'm a contractor and I used to do all of the work on the houses myself. And I so, remember. and I can only do so much of that, especially now with this complicated family situation, mm -hmm. I, you know, there's only so much I can do. So meeting who uh, Robert is, um, was a huge deal. And, you know, he did a little bit of work and started to build trust. And now I, I trust him with everything in this area. He's like working primarily for me and, um, so he handles all the remodeling and then, um, have my money people. I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to do, you know, the real estate business without money people. So mm -hmm. have them have accountant and, um, 
and property managers. I mean, we have the rental side of the business. And so that's a huge deal. I was managing our rentals until we had about 20 units. Uh And so I was doing the physical remodeling and managing the rentals. And that that was, I don't know how property managers do what they Mm -hmm. do or why they would do what they do. (laughs) I know. I I think they got a little crazy. I I love them. We need them. And that that is a thankless job. I mean, do they ever make anybody happy? I don't think so. I think owners are mad at them Uh, all the time. The tenants tenants are mad. Like, I would, I would make sure that I had heavy security yes, at my front desk case. if I had a property management Seriously. company. It's thankless. Yeah, I don't get it, but whatever. I'm so thankful for them because mm-hmm. I, I can't, I couldn't manage it anymore, you know, and I'm, yeah. So there's all the things that come along with managing rentals that are difficult. So handing that off for a small fee was, you know, a huge deal. And that allowed me to that freed me up to do a lot more. And so I'm at a place now to where with redeeming homes, I don't do a lot except for um, finding deals and Mm -hmm. negotiating and kind of managing the rehabs that we have going on. And so you can do that from anywhere. Yeah. Right. And I, and I go back and forth. So I, you know, still like to pick out the materials and like speak into the design of stuff and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I'll do that. And it's cause I, enjoy to do that but i don't have like i could i could probably step out for months and Mm -hmm. just trust what's going on like check in every once in a while so yeah it's been really nice and i um i like it i I enjoy it and i it's creating you have to create a team like i have the team now to where i can put in minimal time into the business and keep it moving forward like working toward the goal of the units that i want and make wiser decisions. I mean, after a certain point, you grow a business to the point to where it starts to financially take care of itself a little bit. And so, and then more, you know, the longer you do it, the more connections you build and the more people you meet and the more relationships you build and partnerships you can have. So it just kind of, it snowballs. It's so hard for so long, but if you get through that part of it, then it's worth it, you know? And still for me, it's so hard because we're not like, raking in the money but the the thing with the rental business is that eventually you do you know eventually the debt is paid off eventually you have enough units and event you know so longer term down the road you know you can build a lot of wealth in it so that's the goal and it's it's worth grinding for for right for for as long as it takes definitely a marathon not a sprint you're in it for the long haul but that's incredible because i remember i mean i i remember gosh even probably two years ago, we were standing on Clark street. And I remember you were, you were, you were at a, a low, we'll just call it a low. And you're like, I think borderline wanting to give up, maybe panicking about, you know, just cause it's, it's risky. Right. And I think, you know, I talk to my clients all the time about the, their range of risk, Mm -hmm. right. Their tolerance for risk. Cause you can get in in the the type of investors that buy into the stock market, 401k, low, low, you know, bonds, low risk. Then you get into like real estate, it's much higher risk. And then there's different levels within real estate. So you, I would definitely put on the higher because you, I mean, how did you get into it? Talk to me about how you got into it, how like the financing aspect and why I define you as a little bit more high risk. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been studying real estate for a long time and I never got into it. And I, you know, whatever I got, I came to a point where me and my ex-wife got divorced and it was like this point to where 
when you go through something like that, you like feel like you've lost everything anyways. So you're willing to jump in and take some risks. And I, I was at that point where I was like, you know, wanted to do this forever and I'm going to actually try it. I was doing some remodel work for a guy who owned a bunch of doors in Anaconda and I was like, all right, I'm going to try for it. And so, um, I had nothing, I had no money and I, her, my ex wife and I had bought, um, we owned our own home in, in Anaconda. So we were like, I was being as creative as I could with that property and building different units and stuff. So I was starting the process there. And then I had a credit card that had $5,000 on it. And so I was like, all right, I got this. And so I started searching around and it was a different time then it can, um, <laughs> different time then. Yeah, what year is 15. this? 15. Okay. So, um, I found a duplex that the, on, Warren Street, mm -hmm. and they were willing to carry contract. It was fifty five thousand, and they were willing to take ten or five, yeah, ten percent down. So five grand on my credit card was just enough, and they would carry the fifty. And it was vacant, needed a little bit of work to get you know rent ready, but that was it wasn't intimidating because I could see how to do that. Um, so I took out, I think, a cash advance and. Um, I knew it was a good deal and I knew like the numbers made sense to me. So the rent would certainly cover the, sure. whatever the, the owner financing and the credit card and yeah, jumped in and did that. So yeah. to back that up. Okay. So I would assume, did, did you have credit at this time? I mean, would, did you have I mean, some sort of, sort of, we, um, yeah, I mean, I had, Oh, we, we were running a daycare at the time. Uh -huh. So we had this, this business that we were doing, we were, my, me and my ex-wife were doing running a daycare. And I think, um, through that and our house, I don't know, somehow I just had some, I think it was a, just a personal credit card that I had. Sure. I okay. Used, so. Yeah. Cause that's one of the, the, when people are new, it's the number one thing I yeah. hear people say, they're like, I'd love to do what you do, but you got to have money. And it's right. like, not really. Mm -hmm. But there's so many different ways. And you're a great example of that coming out of, di of a divorce. Mm -hmm. I think we're like negative money at that yeah, point right. in our lives, right? Like we've, we've got no money and now we've got to somehow create two households yeah. from where we used to have one. So owner financing for those that are listening that don't know what that means. Would you explain that? Yeah. It's just where the owner of the property is willing to carry some of the purchase price. So they're selling it for a hundred and they take a certain amount down 10%. So you pay them 10,000, however you can get a hold of that money, and then they will carry the additional 90, they'll be the bank for you. Back so and it's usually, yeah. I mean, they, it's usually very easy to get into. They don't check all the things that a bank does, credit right. and you know, taxes and all that. They just kind of feel you out and see if they trust you. And then mm -hmm. if they do, they'll carry the note and you know, they're, they're still secured because you know, however you structure it, they can still take back the property. If you stop right. paying or whatever, they're just um, taking a little bit of a risk. If they don't need the, to cash out at the time, mm -hmm. they'll just carry it. So um, yeah. it's very, that's, that is how I found my first four or five properties were all owner financing and it's harder to find people who are willing, but they're out there, you know, and what are the type of people that you found? What was their situation? Like what made them willing compared to somebody else? It was a lot of, um, older folks and people maybe have been in the business for a while or owned a property for a while to where maybe it was paid off or they just needed a small amount your down payment basically to pay off their note. And then they mm -hmm. just wanted that residual because they, they, their, 
their incentive is that they're gaining interest on their money yes. now. So they get whatever they're charging you in interest, they're going to make that. And, and they no longer have taxes, insurance, exactly. maintenance, especially yeah. like you said, the older population, that's a huge thing right. for them, it's, but they still have income. Exactly. Yeah. It's a great way to cash flow and create some income if you're in a position to do that. If you yeah. don't own or if you don't owe much on a property and you can, you know. Yeah. So I have a couple properties we've done that on to where, I mean, those are the best because it's entirely hands off. You're just collecting the you know, the money from that, yeah. that big building in Anaconda, yeah, that yeah. Park Street one, we're yep. still, you know, collecting, you know, whatever Interest. per month on that. So, yeah. yeah. We, <clears throat> speaking of Park Street, so we own a building here on, in Butte on Park Street. And we actually thought about the same thing. I never in a million years thought that I would consider holding a note because right. I want to take that cash and reinvest yeah. it to make more. So sure. why would I take, you know, for me, why would I, if I'm making, we'll say 15% ROI on yeah. my cash, why would I take and turn it around and make Six percent, seven percent. Most of the time, it doesn't make sense. But I actually came across a scenario where I had a buyer that was interested in, in purchasing that, and I don't need the money mm -hmm. until next year. We're going to start building yeah. a house, and I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe that would be a good thing because I would have made thirteen thousand dollars in interest yeah. over the course of the holding period. You know, a year, year and a half, and then when I actually need that money, the note would be due, and then I would have made money off it. So that would have been a perfect reason. So yeah. you just, you just never know. And I think sellers oftentimes don't know, they don't see what's in it for them either. So having a good team and having somebody that can explain that to the sellers where it might, it's a win-win most of the time. It's not well, like you're. Yeah. There's praying. so many avenues in real estate to, um, you know, if you can find deals, it's like you find the deal and then there's always some different exit strategy. That's mm -hmm. the best. So if you know these different like some of them are just totally make sense to flip because there's so much equity in them. And that's, yeah. it's, you know, it, it just makes sense to do that. And some of them you have to hold and some of them you can turn around and carry a note if you mm -hmm. get it super cheap and you can, you have room and you don't need that money, you know, necessarily. And you just want some, so there's just all these routes that yeah. you can go. And um, yeah, it's important. I mean, I, I would never carry a note and unless, you know, right away or if I had a little amount of properties that would, I mean, it wouldn't right. make any sense to me, but having what I, you know, the amount of stuff that I have now, some of them make sense to do that because yeah. it's, it's like rental income, but better because you have no responsibility None. on the property and you still carry, you can take the property back if, you know, and that's, probably the best case scenario because then you get it and you get to do whatever with it again. And, and you keep the down payment <clears throat> that came in and yeah. if they did repairs or worse, some, some cases they actually right. <laughs> did a terrible job. So maybe it's in worse condition, but most of the time they're doing rehabs, right? right? Yeah. Cause it's a short note. Usually it's five, right. you know, five years or so. And they want to get it in good enough condition to take out traditional lending or to sell it themselves, right. whatever. So yeah, that's super interesting stuff. Um, I our first property you and I were going to partner on the one on Georgia. Oh, so yeah, right. in you and I were both in that flipping game at the time. Yep. We're like, Oh, that makes sense. And then I quickly learned, cause I, I define myself as an intuitive investor. Yeah. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't study investing up until I just kind of got into it, met people like you and, and just observed. And, uh, so I thought, you know, everybody else that I knew at that time was flipping. So that's what right. you do. Yep. And so I started the same thing. And then I quickly realized, I'm like, oh, Tracy, you've got high income. Why on earth would you have more income? Yes. That's not what I needed. I needed the long-term wealth. tax purposes. And yeah, like that, yeah, all the taxes that play right. into it. And I'm like, this is silly. I'm trying to offset. Yes. And then you learn that, you know, when you 
when you do a renovation, for example, you don't get to write that. Everything that you put into that, you don't get to write off that next year. It's on a residential. It's 27, 27 and a half years that you have to write this off. I'm like, oh, crap. So all these little lessons that I've learned along the way. So that first property that, um, so Matt and I, we bought a property together and decided, you know, it was a different time. Um, I ended up buying him out because he was going elsewhere and I'm not really sure what our reasoning was, but we ended up taking on the project and we flipped the whole thing and it ended up being, so it was 65,000 is what I bought Mm -hmm. it off of Matt. We bought it for 45 initially. Matt had put some money into it. And when I bought him out, it was at 65,000 and this was 2019. Teen, maybe. Uh, yeah, I think so. So this is crazy. This was only a little while ago, but now this deal, these yeah. deals don't exist anymore. I wish we could do this <laughs> <Right>. again. <laughs> but uh, so from sixty five thousand, we pumped in probably a hundred and twenty five, I would say, and it appraised at four hundred and twenty thousand. And that was before the peak too, right? And so if, you know, we were going to flip it and we were going to sell it because just like you said, um, it makes no sense to have you know this this brand new house. I'm not going to rent it. That's scary. Yeah. But then we decided, Scored well. Yeah. Well, then we decided we learned the the Burr method, right? And so we're like, oh, we'll just refinance it. So we ended up, and actually my my lender is the one that kind of taught me some of this. Good partnerships, good network, yeah. like you said. So we ended up refinancing that. And I think we bought three properties off of that. Yes. So that's how we scaled because we now have debt on that one, but we own some, we own one free and clear and we have small debt on two others. Yeah. So that's another way if you've got you know, you get into properties where you own it free and clear, you can always refinance. And you're cash flowing like crazy on it, right? You're yeah. Crazy yeah. On it. We, yeah. so it's, it's a brand new, I mean, the house was actually appraised as a, as a new build because everything was brand new in it. And we got the, we've got the lifelike crew that's in there. We yeah. wouldn't have rented it to just anybody, right. but they, I mean, they use it like a hotel. They're right. in with their duffel bag. They're out the next day or a week later. Um, yeah, so they're super clean and neat and we're at 2,800 a month on that. So in rent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, and we've got two of them like that. (laughs) Yeah. So it's really the learning journey that I was so excited to talk to you about. And with that, I mean, when I first met you, you were going crazy buying anything that anybody would sell you because, you know, for your situation, you, you just had to find somebody that would sell you a property. And most of the time they were turds. Right. right. You, you bought turd houses. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and over the years, you got more and more sophisticated. And now, I mean, I've seen you with big commercial buildings. I've kind of seen you with everything. Um, and, and just so that so the people listening understand what I when I say a C class. So we tend to, to define real estate as A, B or C properties. Um, a class would be like the Georgia property that I just described where it's almost, I mean, brand new, high end, you know, bigger, bigger mortgage, less cash flow but a less risky tenant for the most part in it, um, long-term investing style. And then we have what Matt started out with, which was C-Class. And tell me about that, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. like you said, it, when you start off, you kind of just have to, if you don't have a ton of resources at hand, you just have to buy what you can. So um, that's what, yeah, I bought a lot of really crappy buildings, but it wasn't, it, it, um, part of my mentality with the business was um, coming from a contracting background. It's like whatever I could buy, I wasn't super intimidated by the things going on in the property because I, you know, you can fix anything on a home. So as long as you are willing to take the risk and have the knowledge of how to fix the thing, then that's how, you know, with the VAT, I like to buy anything that I can add value to. So it's, it's, 
I mean, that's, I think that's how you make money in this game is mm-hmm. that you find where there's value being left on the table and then you find, figure out how to, you know, recapture that. So whether it needs a, a facelift or a full, you know, a full rehab or it's just poorly managed or w- right. whatever it is. So however you can add value. Um, yeah, started off with a lot of C-class and I'm not super interested in the A-class range mm-hmm. just because um, like you said, the, the cash flow it's just a whole different ball game and that I'm yeah. not super interested in. So I'm, you know, I feel really comfortable in that middle zone to where mm-hmm. you're providing people with good places to live at an affordable price and just do that over and over again, make a little yeah. bit of money off of each unit. And, um, yeah, I think yeah, that's where for I'm at sure. Yeah. The, you know, I think you and I would both probably be okay if we had one A class property available right now because sure. Harrison Ford oh is gosh. shopping right yes, now in Butte. <laughs> if we had a rental available, whew, right. that would be amazing. But yes. but no, I agree with you completely. Um, a class, they're they're not as bomb proof from recession. So if we're moving into the big R right now, those are the first properties that you tend to have issues, I guess, renting because right. people are always going to need homes, but they don't always need nice homes yeah. during recession they'll take a step back and they'll settle for something not so nice the b class um b class people will settle for a c class etc etc so i definitely agree with you on that and the two a class that we own are probably the only two that we'll ever own because it's just it's i like to keep a diverse portfolio because you know where one is doing really really well one's suffering but at least it's balanced i guess um yeah yeah Super, super interesting on that part. Um, let's take a little stroll back in time. So none of these things, you said you studied real estate. That's a conscious effort to like, oh, I'm going to learn this. But the mentality, the growth mindset that you referred to, like, where did you get that from? Tell me about your upbringing. Upbringing. Um, I don't actually know where the growth mindset came from. Maybe. I don't know. I've always been sort of a perfectionist and wanted to do things well and... Um, my dad was, he wasn't like a crazy entrepreneur, but he started his own business. He was a small business owner, I would Mm -hmm. call him. And he did that from the time I was, um, like an early teen. So I saw him grow a business, um, not huge, but he grew it. And I kind of learned what it took, you know, watching him how to grow a business and build a business and Mm -hmm. be out on your own, worked for him a little bit, um, learned the basics of construction from him. And then just had, I don't know, I've always had this drive to do things as best as I could, you know, Uh and whatever I'm doing, do it well, do it big. I have a problem with that. I can't like, (laughs) I just can't, it's legit a problem. I can't, and I don't know how to, I have to like rein it back. I don't know how, and it like, I do something and I jump in so deep and Uh like I, I go at it so hard and I just lose my mind with everything else and I just do this and then um sometimes like with this business with redeeming homes it's like sustained and I'm still growing it and I'm Uh still like building it I'm not bored of it but a lot of things I've done in life they've you know I've jumped in and then it kind of fizzles out because it's not exactly what I want to build or grow you know so Mm kind of learned how to do start the things that I really yeah. want to start so that if, you know, so that it'll keep going. So, yeah. yeah. Makes um, sense. Yeah. And yeah, I got into studying real estate. I don't know. I, I think my Robert Kiyosaki, I mm-hmm. for some reason read Rich Dad, Poor Dad as a like late teen, maybe like an early college kid. And mm-hmm. he, that was 
mind, it li- changed my life. It yeah. just my whole mindset on money. And he's a big real estate guy. So I think it was after reading his book and then kind of being captivated by this idea of building wealth and buying mm-hmm. assets and, you know, just being wise steward of, you know, your money, it made a lot of sense to me. So I started, you know, studying real estate books back then. And mm-hmm. that was a long time before I did anything with it. So it was like the seed was planted back then. So, sure. Yeah. But you're super creative too. Like I would, I would define you as a big visionary. So does, does that come from somewhere? Uh, I don't know. You don't I, don't, know? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I'm just, the same. I don't understand where mine came from either. Yeah. I just like to know. Most of the time there's like, oh yeah, my grandma or oh yeah, yeah my dad pushed me. So you don't have that family influence either. You're just kind of. I don't. I think um, it, maybe it goes back to like a part of what I feel it, like a deeper purpose mm-hmm. of my life that is to. Um, it's really tied up in that word of re- redemption. I, th- I think that, like, look at the world around us. It's just broken everywhere. And, it, like, a big part of I feel my personal calling and purpose in life mm-hmm. is to just work hard at rebuilding and, mm-hmm. and, and creating, not just rebuilding what's broken, but creating new and, like, creating a legacy for my children. And... Um, leaving the world better than, you know, I found it. And, you know, I think if enough people were doing that, I mean, and a a lot of people are doing that, but it's just like, I I think that's probably where that visionary stuff come from because, you know, it's connected to this bigger thing I feel called to of redemption and creation and creativity and not just like, I don't know, floating along in life, I can't do it. Like I have to, I have to either fix what's broken or build Mm -hmm. something new because I don't know why I have to. It's always easy to know what the next thing is when you're just following a purpose or a calling rather than chasing money. Like, oh, I just trying to make money. How many people have you heard that are, that are like, oh, what's the, what's a business that'll be profitable that I should start because their goal is to just make money. Like the money always follows if you're doing what you're called to do. Exactly. And for you, that's such a powerful word. That's what we're going to name this podcast episode, by the way. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Yes, it's very cool. No, I resonate with what you just said, though, because I I couldn't stand behind that anymore. Like, and I think uh, we're always, that was one thing, the switch of mindset from Kiyosaki is like, we always have this fearful mindset about money. Like there's not enough, this, this scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. And then you do whatever you have to do just to survive financially. But if you, if you switch your mind to like, there's so much money out there, this abundance mindset, and there's so many people making so much money. So why can't I? And then it switches into, you know, what am I good at? What are my skill sets? What do I love to do? And, the money will follow it will if you do you know and i i I truly love taking a crappy home and making it like create it's like my art it's like creatively making it a nice home and you know money follows after that or anything you know the other businesses that i've been involved with it's like that type of mindset it's Mm -hmm. like something you love something that you you know see value in and then money follows right share it with the world and there's people that get enjoyment from it there's people that get jobs from it exactly like with your most recent endeavor let's let's shift gears away from real estate because we've probably lost half of the people that don't care about real estate they're like i'm never investing in real estate but you're so much better than just just real estate like you've got that and that's what i was referring to the creative mind I remember you flipping, if that's the right word, a like a um, 
locomotive, like a, uh, oh my oh, God. the caboose. The caboose, that's yeah. the word. Yeah. Yeah, we so, still have that one. Yeah, yeah. It's an Airbnb up in Knox in Montana. Yeah. Yeah. Not, like, I remember you telling me you were going to invest in Knox, and I was like, where? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is Knox, and, and who goes yeah. there? And does that, like, tell me about that cute little that, Yeah, that property is awesome. We have, uh, that's where me and Ani got married. That's where my sister and, and her brother are married, and they got mm-hmm. married up there. So we have, like, a little event, you know, mm-hmm. thing up there, and then the caboose, and then... A cabin um, and a shop. We used to have a gift shop out of there, um, but now some other gal lives in the cabin there and runs a shop out of it. So okay. super fun. Like that's if we had to sell everything, I think that would be the last one to go. Just because really? we like love it up there. It's yeah. like our own. It's our space. You know. Yeah, um, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so you've got a. We had a gift shop, and then I remember the wee ones, the the kiddos. Um, Let's see. So nine and eleven, yeah. all girls. We have one boy. Um, Ani has a nine and eleven year old. One girl, one boy. Uh, Isaac is eleven. Allie is nine. Mm-hmm. Then I have two. Ellen May's nine and Ileana's eleven. So yes. we have four combined. Brady bunch, yeah. And yes, yeah, well, and it's adorable. And and I love that the exes are friends yeah. and they yeah. get along great. Their number one goal is to raise kids and oh, to yeah. do it right. And Absolutely. nobody. It's a team effort. It's beautiful. It really is. I think that you guys should do some sort of a, you guys should do some, some something to educate the world on how to co-parent because I think yeah. it's just beautiful. Um, and complimentary, the two, Katie um, and Zach. Is. Oh my God, they're just, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, but with that, you guys, entrepreneurship runs through the, the, the blood. I remember you guys started a little business for the kiddos too. Tell yeah. me about that. Yeah, uh, when COVID hit, we pulled the kids out of school because it was chaos and then decided that it was way better having them just homeschooling. So we still homeschool the kids. Um, and I have a problem with the education system anyways. So Same. I like big time uh, being a homeschooling parent now, trying to think through how to, you know, how I want to educate my kids mm-hmm. and, you know, keeping them up with the standards, but also like what what can I add to their education that others, you know, that the school system cannot. And so just thought that, you know, no kids know how to manage money or build a business or learn how to, you know, work in that way. Some kids have the privilege of that, but you don't get that from the school system. So, um, started nor would I really maybe want the school yeah, to teach right. my kids yeah. <laughs> money <laughs> either. Right. Cause exactly. the government running the banks, exactly. I don't, anyway, yes. <laughs> another topic. Um, so yeah, just ask the girls what, you know, you're going to start a business and so Mm -hmm. start thinking through what you'd like to do with that. And so one of them, one of them wanted to um, like resell things because I bought a trailer and we found a shed like full of old video games. So she's like, Oh, I want to sell these. (laughs) Sorry. We just had somebody (laughs) print in our podcast room. Okay. Carry on. (laughs) Um, So yeah. So we started like uh, reselling, you know, buying you know, whatever, just reselling stuff. So mm-hmm. we sold a lot of those video games. And then one of them uh, wanted to do some, like, resin art and sell it. And then they both wanted, like, a candy machine because one mm-hmm. of them was, uh, she loves candy. So well, she's like, yeah, I want a candy she's machine. a kid. That makes yeah. sense. <laughs> so we found some candy machines for sale um, on the University of Montana in Missoula. And um, so we bought those. And then somehow, oh, yeah, we bought a vending machine after that because that came available. And then... Mm-hmm. We ran into a guy who owned a ton of vending machines and was looking to get out of the business. And so 
Hmm. I had some money available, and so they took out a little loan from me. It was cute. Oh they like gosh. signed their name on a promissory note, and I was like teaching <laughs> about interest and payments and all that. And but so, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and so uh, we bought. I think it was ten vending machines from a guy, and started. Do, I mean. And the kids, so we, we still own that and we're still, it's growing, we're growing it a little bit and yeah, yeah that was just for the kids to figure out and they, and they love it. They love like servicing the route and mm-hmm. ordering the products and, you know, yeah, so we did that amazing. and then, and then the like resell the, the daughter who wanted to do the like reselling thing turned into something insane, which morphed into this business we just started, but yes. we like, we, we, I don't know, on the marketplace, we saw somebody who was selling, it was a pawn shop who'd been bought out and the state company was selling all their video games. So mm. we had found some video games in the shed. We were reselling them and getting interested in it. And then we saw this like huge bundle of like gaming stuff. Uh-huh. So, and they wanted seven grand for it. We bought it and it was like a 6,000 piece video game and wow. console collection. So we like took a U-Haul up to... Flathead Lake and like hauled it all back to um, Missoula, and we were like oh sorted through is like sixty grand worth of video gaming. What? <laughs> yeah. oh so my so we still have that in a basement, and we're you know about to open up a shop that we're gonna like retail space that we're gonna sell some of that stuff out of. Oh my and god! Okay, we, tell me about that. Where's it at? Yeah, it's called. Uh, well, we bought a property in Idaho called. Um, and it the front has a building and then it has like a back portion, a back mm-hmm. lot. So the front we call it Old Town New Roots. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be like a retro shop and sell those video games and bought some huge record collection. We've been collecting like old retro stuff. So uh-huh. we're gonna do a retro shop out of there. And then in the back we just built this venue that's called the Stump. Oh, and it's so uh, cool. So cool. It's like a... We wanted some sort of social aspect to the property, so we were, like, trying to think of how to do that in the building. It didn't work out, Um, but the back is this huge, like, it was just a storage lot, so we started dreaming up some space and envisioned some food trucks back there, and then it turned into, like, a bigger deal, and we just, like decked it out we got a beer license we have a little like shed back there that we sell beer and popsicles out of like Uh a popsicle stand that sells beer and we have a food truck that parks there and we have like an old classic car we bought to like park back there for Mm -hmm. people to take pictures by Mm -hmm. had this huge mural painted on the wall next to us and we just launched launched that a week ago and uh uh, it's going well so far super fun kids are loving it it's like um yeah, it's the spot to be now down there. And it's very, very fun, like live music. And so, yeah, so awesome. like the homeschooling little idea seed that was planted uh-huh. morphed into this really cool business yeah. that's been built for the kids and for us as a family. So it's very fun. So who's running it? Are the kids boss and you guys around are, or do you still yeah, have any say in this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are the bosses. Yeah, we always say that when we're doing the vending route. They're yeah. like, yeah, I always remind everybody that they're the boss. I'm the just laborer. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but, um, yeah, they're involved in it, and they're, you know, they're just still kids, so there's a yeah. balance between them just screwing around yeah. but also, like, trying to rein them in and show them the responsibility of it all. So, totally. But, you know, and it, all of them, I can see all the kids are having this uh, – the seed is being planted of, you yeah. know, they're starting to think like that, not mm-hmm. necessarily just like thinking the normal path of, you know, school and then college yes. and then get a job. They're starting to think creatively how to build yes. a business, how to like 
buy assets. They know all these terms and, you know, yeah. so yeah. And that's the point of all of it. So, yeah. Oh yeah. my God. I, I relate to that so much. I, I get so frustrated. I think to myself, I I've got all these things going too. Mm-hmm. And I've got this, nobody taught me how to do this. Right. right? And like my parents were both state employees. They worked for 30 years at the same job. They collected what the state gave them. They had a retirement, you know, whatever. Um, they ended up retiring and they get that whatever pension. That's right. all they have. Um, never invested, never did any of that stuff. So now, like, I feel like I'm so far behind the times on teaching my kids. And I almost feel guilty that I didn't do what you've done because my kids went through typical school. They did all the things. Like, I talked to them about college until until I learned, you know, what business is and that you can, there's another route. Right. There's nothing wrong with college. There's nothing wrong with building exactly, a business, yeah. but both options to be shown as, as a as a route. And, you know, you start teaching them all these things and they, you know, my, my kids, their eyes kind of glaze over. They're like, I don't want to hear this crap. Right. I don't want anything to do with this. But if you just keep talking and you keep plant, like you showing. said, planting seeds and showing them, yeah. you know that, I mean, it might not be until they're 30, 35. I mean, I didn't start until 32. You were in your late twenties, yeah, right? right. Yep. I mean, it's, it's okay. As long as we're planting the seeds and eventually maybe it'll just be that they start I don't know, investing in the stock market, or yeah. maybe they'll pick up a property. Maybe they'll just know, I think I'm going to live in a duplex because I can make money off exactly. of my neighbor who will pay my rent, you know, or pay my mortgage, whatever it is, just keep planting seeds. And not like for me, I have to remind myself not to just get fed up and stop teaching my kids mm-hmm. because they don't immediately want to listen or right. they don't want to start this business tomorrow that yes. I think is cool. Yeah, <laughs> that is hard. And it's, um, yeah, anything more than what the typical kid is, you know, taught or led in is fine by me. But I want, like, I at least want to sow this maybe discontentment with the system in them mm-hmm. to where yes. they, and this, this like, courage to see that they can do whatever. You know, mm-hmm. that idea to where do what you're <laughs> passionate about and the money will follow. I'm always yep. telling the kids that. It's like, I, I truly don't care if they go to college and get some you know more standard job that's beautiful if that's yep. what they want to do but they don't have to do that and you know it, you know the more adventurous spirit and the free spirit will want to you know do you know create and to do something more adventurous with your time rather than you know yes. you know just yep. doing the nine to five thing so um yeah I, and i'm seeing fruit from that and they're yeah they're not anywhere near where they you know exactly I want them to be, but right. I can see it. I can see the mindset start to trickle into their mind and that's good. By that's me, huge. Right now. That's yeah. gold. Yeah, right. for sure. I just, I always, t- I teach my kids to question authority and yeah. I don't mean that as in like rebel against whatever. I just to teach them to think for themselves yes. and to, you know, authority to me is whether it's a teacher, whether it's a society, whether it's a, you know, the, the university system, just right. standard you know, status quo, just question that always. And it doesn't mean you push back and you say, this is garbage. You just really think about it and wonder if there's another way or wonder if there's some better way to start doing things. And um, just teaching that is the most important thing for, for me, for my kids. And then what they do with it, it's, it's on them. That's exactly. their own. And I, I trust that they're going to have a good life. Yeah. There. And I feel like the system uh, oftentimes like crushes the creativity in the kids, yes. you know, because you have to, you have to conform to a certain way of thinking and doing things. And um, that's why homeschooling has been really fun because it's like taking them outside of that box and just letting them think and be free and explore 
what they want to explore and just be able to think creatively about the world and yeah. about finance, about business, about, you know, what they want to do with their life is, is awesome. Yeah, so, yeah. it's beautiful. I, uh, I bought my kids Dave Ramsey just, oh gosh, I think the box showed up like a week and a half uh-huh. ago and it's, it's just basic. You know, my, my older two girls complain all the time. They're like, the school should have taught me how to balance a checkbook. I'm like, honey, that's my, that's my right, job yeah. to teach you. And uh, we don't use checkbooks. Here's yeah. your debit card. But anyway, you know, and they're, and they're always, they're complaining because they didn't learn it about taxes. I'm like, you did. I'm like, we do taxes. Like, this is what it is. But anyway, so I bought this Dave Ramsey program for them just to have all of it condensed into one thing, just yeah. basics on how to how to save money, how to budget money, how to you know what is insurance, what whatever, and they haven't picked it up yet. But yeah. <laughs> gentle little nudges, you know, just right. to reinforce and to plant the seed. And one day they're going to wake up and they're going to say, "Wow, either a I'm tired of being broke, or b I'm tired of people telling me what to do in this job when I feel like I could do it better, or c it's just um, I don't know what I'm doing and I kind of want to be better." And maybe then they'll pick up the, yeah. the books and exactly. The I mean, as a parent, you just do if you're doing what you can, you know, as much as you can do and Mm -hmm. think like a lot of parents, I don't think even think about how to teach their kids those things. But as long as you're thinking about it, trying to take actions and doing everything you can, it's like, then you can't, it's really on your kids at that point to make the choice that you can't control them. And that's part about being a good parent too, is like giving them the freedom to, you know, do what they will with what you're teaching them you know, on their own timeline yeah exactly <laughs> I mean because I'll get fr- you know I'll get frustrated sometimes but then and get a pull back it's like mm-hmm. you know they're their own people and yep. you're putting yourself out there to teach them and whether they receive it or not is truly mm-hmm. on them you can't like scream it into them you can't force them to right. think a certain way so you do what you can and then you know some and then sometimes you'll see a spark and they're like mm. something clicks and you're like so yes cool. and then you can then you're so much more effective in your teaching because then you they care and uh-huh. then they're interested and they're listening They're You're not like, they're not glazed over. You're, yeah. you, they're really like, they want to know because suddenly they have a need and yes. they're like, Oh, they can meet that need. Because just like they, you and yeah, I, right. all those training classes just sit through cause you have to. And you're like, Oh yeah, my gosh. Exactly. And then all of a sudden it comes and you need that information. Like, Oh crap. Yes. But maybe you had a book and you can look back over it or yeah. whatever. It's all that matters. Right. <laughs> it's like teaching your kids how to learn when those create, yes. you know, when those needs arise is a big deal because mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, so much that we learn about in this in school is like you don't really need it at the time. Right. But but like now, I'm pretty interested in history and geography, yeah. and so I go out and I seek that. And exactly. you know where you to know, go. If you for can it, teach your kids how to learn the things that they become curious about, yep. then that's good. Yeah, absolutely. You couldn't have taught me Russian when I was in high school, but now I'm actively trying to learn yeah, Spanish cool. because we're going to Port <laughs> or we're going to Costa Rica. So now nice. I have a need for it. So I'm like, oh yeah, give me all those Spanish all words. Right, yeah. <laughs> all right. That's cool. Okay. So speaking of cool things, what's, what's next for, for you, for your family, for your business? Yeah. Um, yeah, we're trying to, Ani, I mean, shout out to Ani. She's like, she's my partner. She's amazing. She's like, I wouldn't be able to do any of this mm-hmm. without her patience. And because, you know, our life is so complicated and back and mm-hmm. forth. She's given up like, so she does not have a standard life at all. And <laughs> she's been like, she's let me build a business here. She's let, you know, been so patient with this process and it's given me the freedom to build. Mm-hmm. And I thank her for that. So shout out to her. But, yes. um, so right now we're trying to figure out, uh, I've tried to pull out, you know, not be so separated between the two states and uh-huh. we're really focusing down in Idaho. And so now I'm trying to settle out everything in Montana, keep the, the 
the real estate business growing. Mm-hmm. And then we figure out down there, we've got this new business and maybe, you know, I don't know, we're thinking about maybe another business after that, or maybe I start doing some real estate down there. Mm-hmm. She just um, got her certificate in peer support. She's like starting a new career. So mm-hmm. she's doing that and loving it. And uh, we're just trying, I don't know, we're kind of in a transition point. There's yeah. a, a lot of new uh, and that brings about lots of challenge and yeah. lots of beauty. And so we're like trying to sift through all of that. And, you know, Amer- I don't know, we're, we're learning to communicate, you know, we're both from, from broken marriages before this. So we're like really trying to learn now how to navigate mm-hmm. that, you know, yep. you, get, you get, I don't know. So we're learning how to communicate with each other and learning how to build some new life together. Not yeah. like this old mindset of what we used to think we should build, but like sure. us now and mm-hmm. our relationship and us moving forward, what do we yeah. do? So yeah, that's um, transitional. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's just really cool that you're not just working on a business, like taking like conscious time, like, you know, you, you, in very intentionally stopping to focus on the marriage and to say, okay, we've got stuff everywhere. Yeah. Let's physically kind of get some roots. And right. that's really cool that that's the name of your exactly. business yeah. too. And put down some roots maybe. And from there, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but yeah. it's cool. And it's, it's awesome to just focus on your marriage and your family. It is. Yes. I, I feel like that's always been your first priority, but at the same time, it's, there's always distractions pulling you every direction yeah. too. Yeah. It's cool to have a partner. Like I truly feel like I'm building, um, with a partner mm-hmm. and with like, we're, we feel like that, that bigger sense of purpose. It's mm-hmm. like, we both are aligned in that. So we're, you know, on those deep core things, we're right there. We're so aligned. So everything that we're doing and building, although it's very difficult and very taxing, um, we know that underneath it all, it's so like, it's all worth it because right. we love each other. We love our kids. We love the people that are around us. And we're like pouring out our life for a similar purpose. Right. It's like neither of us are trying to get rich or like, you know, accumulate a bunch of stuff or, you know, have some fame where we like, we truly love the people around us. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the, that's what's behind everything that we're doing. So that yeah. makes all the difficulty like bearable. Yeah. You know? so, totally worth it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, where can people find you and all of these amazing adventures? Do you, are you, do you even exist on social really, media yeah, I mean, anymore? I mean, I do, but not really. I no? just, I market our new business on there, but you can check out the stump, you know, and okay. just, there's some cool stuff going on on there on Facebook and Old Town New Roots, and those are our new businesses, but I don't dabble in Facebook very much besides marketing the businesses, but yeah. I, I um, love that about you. I'll make sure I put links because they're really cool to check out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, you, if you have a need for a Volkswagen bus <laughs> yeah, <all right. laughs> to add to your food court, I'm thinking about what? turning it into a food truck, except for I can't, I, I don't cook, I can't cook, it looks cool, but no, I'm somebody not. Somebody cooks and somebody wants yeah, that, exactly. so if you make it. Make it into it, one. Yeah. That's that's kind of what I'm wondering about. Since the little bugger's not doing what I wanted it to do, <laughs> failures, right? A, yeah, it's just a fixture now. Huh? <laughs> yeah, it is, but it's so cute. Yeah, it right? is cute. <laughs> okay, well, I so appreciate so much for yeah. you coming to talk to me. I'm I'm sure we're gonna have to do a part two eventually because yeah, you're always moving and shaking and yep. figuring out new things. And till then, sounds good. Thanks, thanks so much. much. Yeah, bye.